0: Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galanti. I'm with Thomas Frank Carr. And T. Frank, I cannot tell you how happy I am to be here with you talking Penn State football.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm pretty stoked about it, too. Glad we're back.
1: So am I. Uh, for those of you still wondering what you're talking about, we were off last week, the Keystone kickoff show. Do you know, T. Frank, that was the first week we have been off since we started this show, like six or seven years ago, which which I think is a pretty good track record. But I think we had a pretty good excuse for being off last week. For those of you not aware, about a week and a half ago on that Friday prior, I had a heart attack. Um, And uh, just the quick update, it was not like you see on TV, me grasping my chest, debilitating. Uh, You weren't giving an emotional
2: speech or anything like that? It wasn't like a very emotionally attuned moment in your life? You were just eating something probably?
1: It's just a normal day doing what I normally do, which probably means I was eating. Uh, <laughs> for those of you who remember the old Sanford and Son show, I was not grasping my heart, flailing, saying, Elizabeth, I think this is it. It's the big one. And um, I wasn't sure what it was. But first of all, first lesson learned is don't ignore something like that. Go get it taken care of. Speed to get it taken care of is critical. Stupid me. I was stubborn. Ah, It'll probably go away. Well, it didn't. Following day, I said, "Ah, maybe I should go to the hospital, have them take a look at this. Diagnosed it as a heart attack. I was rushed. For those of you in my area, northeast Pennsylvania, know about it. Geisinger in Danville, major medical center. I was taken there, put right into the cath lab. Where they ran something through my wrist, up through the arteries, where there was a, a 100% blockage in one of the arteries. They put a stent in, which is just a, like a tube, opens up that blockage, and there you go, T. Frank. Thanks to modern medicine, I am back on the air. What do you yeah. think of that?
2: uh you got significantly less time off than I would have taken if I had a heart attack uh so I'm, I'm glad we're back I'm glad you're okay uh and sincerely like I I'm, I'm glad you're okay and I'm glad that uh you know you are back so quickly but man it used to be like I had a heart attack and you weren't back to work within a week like there was a little bit more lead-up time but uh uh, glad that, and I said this to you off air, there's no such thing as a minor heart attack when it happens to you, <laughs> but I'm glad that uh, it was not a, a serious thing, because when you texted me, I didn't know what to say, because I'm like, oh, I hope you're all right, you're texting me, so I hope you're, all, but like, there's no, oh, I just had a heart attack, oh, okay, well, cool. So I'm glad you're okay, uh, and I'm glad we're back doing this.
1: Well, it, the funny thing, and I was telling you a bit about this off the air is, they put me right into the cath lab, did the procedure, which was totally painless. I was wide awake talking to the folks there, and as soon as the procedure was done, they handed me my phone, allowed me to text, take calls. do. Theoretically, T. Frank, I could have gone home right then. They kept me in for 48 hours. I could have done the show last week. <laughs> I went home. I've been taking... <laughs> Since I got home two days later, I've been taking walks every day, so... Uh, Big thanks to the people at Geisinger. They were incredible. Also, speaking of thank yous, I want to thank all of our listeners who reached out to me with well wishes and prayers. It's appreciated. After all this time, our listeners feel like family to me. And for them to reach out like that, uh, several of them, meant a lot to me. So thank you, all of you who reached out. So moving on. One last administrative thing T. Frank. Since I was feeling pretty good last week, but no show to do, I took advantage of the time, something that several listeners have been asking for for years. Uh, our show was split up into four segments. If you go to the podcast version, you, you can listen to each one of the four segments. I've gotten this suggestion many times. Can I just listen to the whole show at once? Can't you just... So instead of switching from one to the other, we're giving you both options. If you go to get the podcast, you could listen to it like you traditionally have in four segments. You'll also see the one-hour version there. So you can get one full hour of T. Frank, which I'm sure is what everybody's looking for, T. Frank.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. That's exactly what people want. Not really.
1: (laughs) And and if you can't get enough, you can listen to both versions, the four at a time or the one hour. Of course, it's the same content, but for those of you who can't get enough, Keystone Kickoff. Anyway, all right, enough of that, T. Frank. Let's move on to our topic for the day, and hopefully this topic will not give me a second heart attack. We are going to talk about Sean Clifford and this offense. I know this is a topic that people have beaten up, they've gone over and over, beaten this dead horse, but what prompted this discussion to you, Frank, is a little discussion you and I had off the air a couple weeks ago about Sean Clifford, and I often say, hey, Clifford's been here long enough, we know what we're going to get, but to be honest with you, I really don't know what we're going to get when Sean Clifford takes the field. Do you?
2: Uh, so, th- the interesting thing is, so I, on, on my show yesterday, I, I did a deep dive over the last weekend, and I've been, I've been thinking about this for a long time, of how does Penn State get back to a place where they're winning again, right? So, th- there's two questions. Can you win with Sean Clifford, and how do you get back to winning at Penn State after two seasons of about 500 football and, you know, un- underperforming, regardless of the circumstances? Just, boilerplate, I'm going to give this one to the fans that want to yell about 2020. Uh, how do you get back to something before that? And the the most, uh, I think, clear in the, the the most clear line between the two is to look at the 2019 season because Clifford's still your quarterback, and that was a, t- a team that won 10 games. So you can draw some sort of ideas out of that. And when I went and I not just looking at last season, not just looking at that information, but looking at both seasons. When you get down to it, and I use PFF uh, to kind of cut through a lot of the the film analysis because PFF isolates the player, and it isolates from the system and the scheme and everything else just to see how that guy performed, irrespective of all that stuff. And Clifford was the exact same quarterback. He had almost the exact same PFF passing grade, and that grade was ranked ninth in the Big Ten both seasons. So, you got there in different ways, but the same player who produced roughly the same output, got 10 wins one season and seven another. And that should show you just the fickleness and the, the 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 closeness of what 2021 was and what 2019 was, where you can have something like that and have two totally different outcomes. So, you know, there, there's a lot of nuance to it inside of the overall number, which you should never take just as, you know, gospel. But if you're looking for kind of a rough comparison, Clifford, he wasn't any different one year to the other. It was just the situation around him.
1: Now you were comparing years. I did this exercise previously, like looking at Sean Clifford in 2021. Remember, this is a team that was five and O, ranked in the top five. Yep. Up by a couple touchdowns at Iowa, had already beaten Auburn, had beaten Wisconsin on the road. And if I can remind you, Sean Clifford in that Auburn game was 28 for 32 for 280 yards. Yep. And then everything fell apart, and I went and did a comparison. What was Sean Clifford's stats like that first half of the year versus the second half, which I knew they were going to collapse. I mean, they were going to be awful in the second half compared to the first, but they weren't. No. (laughs) Statistically, it was very similar, which blew me away.
2: Yeah, and, and that's why you got to – so box score stats can be very deceiving because if you're the quarterback and everything's on you, you're just going to get the volume to uh, throw the ball a lot and get a lot of yards and touchdowns and all of those things. So it's about the quality of those snaps, the efficiency of those things. And when I looked at it, and, and again, going into the PFF stats, one of the things that stood out to me the most was um, – you, know, you can look at play under pressure, which is what, what I talked about a lot – last season, where after the injury, his play under pressure bottomed out. He was one of the, the worst in college football from a grade standpoint. But if you include the Iowa game where he threw three interceptions or, or threw three turnover-worthy plays before he went out in that game, despite the fact that the team was winning because the defense was getting the ball back and was preventing some of those disastrous situations from compounding, um, he was not playing overly well despite the fact that the team was kind of rolling against that, that defense. He was doing some good things, but they were pretty safe within the structure of... The... Anyway, that's not the point. The point is that if you include that part of his grade, he was not good either part of the season under pressure. But where the injury affected him the most is in his ability to elude pressure and get rid of the football. So he took nine sacks in the first five games. He took 23 in the final seven. Uh, and, and his percentage of times he was pressured that turns into a sack. So how good are you at eluding pressure? It was a quarter of the time he was going down, as opposed to just under 15% before. So he was holding on to the ball longer. He was running less because of the injury, less designed yardage because they didn't want to get him hurt. And so he's stuck in the pocket, and he's taking sacks. He's not throwing the ball away. He's not finding his receiver And that was really what led to kind of the collapse of the offense was they couldn't sustain drives because he was taking negative plays as sacks. And part of that's on the offensive line and part of that's on him for, you know, that's how it is to be the quarterback. Like, your job is to get rid of the ball and not create negative plays. Sacks are also negative plays. So kind of the hidden yards in what you're talking about of kind of the box stats That's where the biggest difference was between the first part and the second part of the season.
1: Real quickly, we only have one minute left in this segment. When you were saying he – was he just holding on to the ball because he was trying to protect himself by not running the ball? So he ended up holding on, and that's what was creating those sacks?
2: So, you know, I've gone through all the film. I did not go through the film again when I was looking at the data because I wanted to just see the data for what it was and kind of get the big picture. But the the games that stand out to me specifically, uh, and there's a lot of mitigating circumstances, I'll try to nutshell this. Like, if you look at the situations, didn't play against Rutgers, he was uh, and he held on to the ball and stayed in the pocket against Ohio State and especially Illinois because the injury was fresh. By the end of the season, he's playing in a blizzard against uh, Michigan State. So he's not running in that situation either. So there are certain things that dictated what happened, and there are certain things that were a part of the injury so it's never one thing but I think that that's a fair way to say that he was staying in the pocket, not running the football and and trying to play that way with the exception being the Michigan game where he did run and he was out in in the open space making plays.
1: Alright T Frank in quarter number 2, we're going to pick it up from there and we're going to look forward to see what can Penn State do about this going forward. Stay tuned.
3: This is Jen from Collegiate Athletic Travel. We've been offering travel to the biggest Penn State games for over 50 years. This fall, we continue that tradition in partnership with Keystone Sports Network with a trip to the Penn State Auburn game. Join us for charter flight, staying at the team hotel, transportation to and from the game, and even a great tailgate party at the stadium are included. For more information, go to athletictravel.com or call 1-800-788-4414. See you there.
4: What defines the special spirit of Penn State?
0: It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number four. Quarter, no, it's quarter number two, T. Frank. I'm getting ahead of myself here. A week off, and I'm already messing up. Yeah, everyone wants an
2: hour of T Frank, right? You're already trying to (laughs) fast-forward it.
1: (laughs) Get it done and over with. I'm Jim Galante. That other voice you hear is Thomas Frank Carr. We are here for a full hour of conversation about Penn State football, and it is quarter number two. Quick reminder that Keystone Sports, in partnership with Collegiate Athletic Travel, We are offering you the opportunity in September to travel to Auburn for the Penn State-Auburn football game, charter flight, get to stay at the team hotel, transportation to and from the game, and a great tailgate party at the stadium itself. Dustin and I will be along on the trip. We'll be doing a podcast from there that you'll get the chance to participate. If you join us, for more information, just go to athletictravel.com. Call 800 788 4414. It promises to be a great time. There's nothing like going on the road with your favorite team. All right, T Frank, we've been talking about Sean Clifford and this Penn State offense. And one of the things you brought up, which I find really fascinating, is that where Sean Clifford really struggled. And last season, it became evident the first half of the year, they're winning, they're 5 0. Second half, after he gets banged up against Iowa, he was not the same. While under pressure, whether it was he was just holding on to the ball too long, uh, trying not to run, trying to, ironically, trying to protect himself is the way he ends up getting sacked. Right?
2: Uh, yeah, pretty much. You know, and and <laughs> that's trying to protect the football and trying to protect himself. And there's a lot of there's a lot of things that can go wrong when you're thinking of those things and not thinking of making the play. And and so this is the part two to, to dive right into it, and this is people have asked me about this when I've brought all this stuff up, is I don't know as a non-football player how an injury affects your mental process. Some guys, you know, at the quarterback position, you know, the Byron left which throwing a touchdown or throwing a bomb down the field on a broken leg and then being carried down the field. You know, there's there's ex- examples of that. But most guys don't do that. Most people do not operate from a clear mind when they are under the weather, like whether they're injured, whether they're not, just not feeling good that day. I've had days where it's just like, I'm just off and I'm bad at my job. I can't imagine what having, what I'm assuming, we all assume was a rib injury. Um, I I can't, I, I don't know what that does to your mental processing when you're trying to play football. So when the decision making is one thing, but the physical act of running, he did less and he was in the pocket more because of that. I think that's pretty clear.
1: Well, the other question, other part to this T Frank is, is he under duress more often than other quarterbacks because of the shortcomings of the offensive line?
2: So that that's a that's a tough one. I, you know, and I didn't look up that specific information of comparing how many plays under pressure because it's the volume in which you're throwing the football and the efficiency of a bunch of different things in the offense. But what I can say is it was relatively the same amount of pressure if you're comparing 2019 where I was looking at the information and 2021, relatively the same. And he played an extra game in uh, 2021 as opposed to 2019 because I believe he missed a game after Ohio State with an injury. So... You know, he. if you balance it all out, it's roughly the same amount of pressure. But there's no question more was on his shoulders last season. And he was throwing the ball more, giving more opportunity for all of those things to happen. And this is one of the things that we talked about uh, that I think kind of sparked this conversation is when you take a look at what the offense was doing, they were not successful running the football. So they were throwing deep and short intermediate passes like they were and, and then as the season went on they went more to the bubble screen they went more to outside quick passes predetermined reads and that supplemented the passing game and I asked James Franklin about this and he's like well it's just reading numbers whether or not it's out there or if it's over top of the box so that's where you decide where you go with the football but it's still a decision he's got to make that's still a pass he's got to throw accurately that's still things he has to process and those are just generally less effective, less efficient passes than throwing the football down the field. So then when he was asked to do that part, he, you know, he's already gone through all this other stuff. And one of the things he could use in those situations in third and long was he would break the pocket. He would, he would make you pay if you blitzed and you played man coverage because he could get out and he could run. Once that was taken away, he was kind of a sitting duck because there was no other way the offense could move the football. So you've taken a limited offense, and you've limited even more. And that's a lot of what you saw in the second half of the season.
1: I'm going to ask you to make a prediction now. It's It'll be a full season. I assume he's going to be fully healthy, at least for the start of the season. For that fact alone, do you think we're going to see more of the early 2021 season-type Sean Clifford to start the 22 season,
2: uh, oh sure, sure, uh, because things are always better at the beginning of the season when you all your wrinkles are new. So all the things you're trying to do that year, the identity of your offense, whether or not people know from studying you on film, you always, excuse me, you always have some fresh things. And as the season goes on, if you're not good at your base stuff. Your wrinkles matter less, and I think that's another conversation we've had of like, why was the offense not more creative as the season went on? It's like it was the same amount of creative. You just can't. You're not a. You're not a, a a Las Vegas magician. You can't do everything by sleight of hand. You have to be good at something. So, is Penn State going to be better in the beginning of 2022 at things? I think you might have the case where it's it's the same as 20. 21, where it's good, you're kind of holding on by the seat of your pants, but as those young players in the offense get more comfortable, you might have something where the team gets stronger as the season goes on, and a guy like Nick Singleton gets into the rhythm, if Catron Allen is a part of the conversation, the left side of the offensive line are both redshirt freshmen, so those players getting more comfortable, more confident, as long as everything holds, you might see a stronger team by the middle of the season than you do at the beginning because there's so much youth that they're going to be counting on at some point this year.
1: How much T. Frank effect will there be on Sean Clifford and his performance by improving the running game, that that becomes a real threat as opposed to the way it was last year? There's hope, and I'm not asking you to say it definitely will happen, but it's a much reconstructed offensive line. Some new guys with some promise, the freshman coming in at running back. But how much does an effective running game then affect how Sean Clifford, the quarterback, will perform?
2: Well, it's everything. And I know that there's some conversation about play action not being at all affected by by the actual running game. But if you're not dedicating numbers to the box because you can stop a team with just your front four, then you don't have to stack the box against the run. So – the, the real comparison here, and this is kind of the main thread, is in 2019, Penn State had a big shot play-action offense. They could run the ball effectively, especially by the end of the season, and that drew people into the box. You had to stop the quarterback and two running backs. Clifford was an effective runner at that time, and that opened up single coverage where K.J. Hamler could go to work, and you had Pat Friermuth as a very effective chain mover, and Jahan Dotson was mixing in there as an intermediate threat and doing a good job at that. So you had a threat at every level of the field. Last season, Penn State had a deep threat, but they did not have the time to give the quarterback to throw an accurate pass consistently down the field. They had an intermediate threat that they didn't use in the tight ends that were not the same level as Pat Fryermuth. So it was all short, all short, all short passes. It was all Jahan Dotson. It was get the ball out of your hands quickly, make quick decisions. Next season, Penn State has the opportunity because they have more talent On the offensive line and at the running back position to create more balance. That you can then have those play action shots. Or you can then just take pressure via the appearance of a run game off the quarterback. So all those things can be a factor next season. Um, And I was looking at the offensive line as well back in 2019. And it it wasn't a particularly special unit. I mean, you look at Rasheed Walker, who was, I think at that time, a redshirt freshman. uh, At his first start at left tackle... Uh, Steven Gonzalez, a good player on the college level, didn't make it to the NFL despite numerous attempts. He's tried many times. Uh, Michael Menett, Will Fries, and then you had Miranda and C.J. Thorpe. And there were some high highs there every once in a while, but that none of those guys were supremely talented. This offensive line has the chance to be more talented than that group. Now they're younger, and that was the main thing, is Gonzalez, Fries, Menett all played really well but they played really well for like college. They weren't elite football players. They were good. They were dependable. They were solid. That's all you need from the run-blocking perspective and from a pass-blocking perspective. I think this unit can get there. I think that offensive line can get there. You might just have more peaks and valleys. There might be more terrible situations because of mental mistakes and then really good ones when they fire in all cylinders and that left side of the line is churning the way I think it can. So that's kind of what I'm predicting is as the season goes on they might become a more dangerous team than they were to start the year. And that's with the development
1: of the young offensive line. Let's going back to Sean Clifford and I want to go by your technical assessment of him, your scouting, the PFF reports on him. If you were coaching this team, we know James Franklin is not going to make a change. It's mm-hmm. going he's going to live and die with Sean Clifford. If I made you head coach of this team, how inclined would you be to make a change? I know we know very little about the young quarterbacks, but I'm doing that more on your assessment of Sean Clifford.
2: <laughs> well, here's the thing I'm going to do. I'm going to do everything in my power to blow out Purdue so you can get Christian Veyu in the game and you can see something. And you can just see what he does against another team that isn't wearing, that it's allowed to hit him. Um, for an extended period of time, you know, in the game I th- they play Ohio next year or something. I'm so bad at these things because it's like, what's next? And then I just like, that's the thing this week.
1: <laughs> yeah, it it it's Purdue the first week. I think like a MAC team the second week. Yeah, Auburn the third week. I yeah. think. Yeah. So yes, there's that second game that they should uh, win handily.
2: Right. So I, I want to get as much information about the guys on the roster as possible outside of that, outside of Sean Clifford, if I can. Um, and then, you know, I just, I, that's so hard. I don't know. And and I would probably be inclined to stay with Sean Clifford as well. Because, I you know, looking at the information, here's another thing we didn't even talk about. He was a better quarterback last season. His play from a clean pocket was very good when he was clean and his play uh, throwing the ball deep was actually better than it was in 2019. Now, was it the best in the big 10? No, but if you can create an ecosystem around him, he is an efficient quarterback that knows all the answers. You you just got to give him the opportunity to do it because he's not going to elevate the team. Uh, and, and that's a risk. If you want to get rid of that.
1: And there you have it. T Frank's conclusion. Sean Clifford will be a superstar next season. That is it for quarter number two. Stick around, we're gonna take your questions and ask T Frank in quarter number three.
3: This is Jen from Collegiate Athletic Travel. We've been offering travel to the biggest Penn State games for over 50 years. This fall, we continue that tradition in partnership with Keystone Sports Network with a trip to the Penn State Auburn game. Join us for charter flight, staying at the team hotel, transportation to and from the game, and even a great tailgate party at the stadium are included. For more information, go to AthleticTravel.com or call 1-800-788-4414. See you there.
4: In his book, Why Penn State? Author Greg Woodman takes readers on a trip back in time to Happy Valley in the 1980s, a unique era of gridiron success and rapid expansion that gave our university its modern identity. Whether you're traveling down memory lane or discovering Old State's past for the first time, this compilation of rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews helps you explore the why behind We Are. Start your journey today. Order online at YPennState.com.
0: Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. That means it's time to ask T. Frank. This is where we have T. Frank answer your Penn State football or recruiting questions. And if you want to submit a question, download our app from the App Store. Just search for Keystone Sports. You'll see the Ask T. Frank button, and there you go. At the end of the segment, we are going to pick out the best question, and you win a great prize this week. The winner of today's Ask T. Frank segment, you'll receive a copy of the book, Why Penn State, by Greg Woodman. It's available now at whypennstate.com. I hope you all heard our show from earlier this week. I had Greg on to talk about the book. It emphasizes the uh, decade of the 1980s where Penn State became the iconic school that it was. Uh, He talks about the big 86 Fiesta Bowl against Miami. Some really great stuff. Fantastic book. Again, it's why Penn if you want to order it or you can also get it at amazon probably some other uh places where you get your books all right t frank you ready to answer some
2: questions sure as long as i'm not held to any of the answers
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right let's start with jimmy in forest city he says hey t frank last year john love had three games with two receptions all other games were one or none and three games with over ten carries. Do you see Devin Ford taking over that role this year?
2: I don't know. Um, I don't know where Devin Ford fits onto the roster uh, at 190 pounds. And and John Lovett was a bit of a disappointment, truthfully, because there was a. Those are the receptions he caught. There was a, against Michigan, he had two first downs in critical situations that he dropped. So. Health was an issue, fit was an issue, rhythm was an issue. What he was good at was, uh, you know, zone running, outside zone, inside zone, and and mid zone, being able to make the right decision, get up field and get the yards that were there. The problem was, Pence couldn't run outside zone, so therefore your inside zone and your mid zone are less effective, uh, because, you know, there's no threat that you have to get on your horse to get out to, to the boundary. Um I, I don't know that there's a role that's the that's the John Lovett role. I think that there's a third down back, but that could be Catron Allen. He's a really good overall football player. Um Kevon Lee showed at the end of the season the reason that Devin or that uh, that Lovett wasn't getting any of those opportunities was because Kevon Lee was becoming a better back in space. So, can it? Sure. Devin Ford could be that guy. Could he be a change pace back? Sure. Could he be barely used? Yeah, there's five running backs on the roster. All of them theoretically could play a part next season. So I, you know, I'm going to wait and see. I like the idea of roles on the offense instead of thinking thinking of skills that are available instead of looking at like one, two, three, four but we'll just have to see how it all develops because that's part of the game that changes over time, I think.
1: All right, let's uh, move on. This is a question. I had about three, four of the same question, so I'm going to go with Mike's version. Mike is from Baltimore, and he says via Jim's backyard. I'm not sure what that means, if that means he's a Berwick guy or from the area, but here's Mike's question. Hey, T. Frank, I saw some way too early mock drafts had Will Levis as a top 10 pick. Is this the same guy who was basically a fullback in the shotgun for Penn State? In your opinion, does he have first-round talent, and will he be a top pick next April? And I'm going to add in, this wasn't Mike's question, I'm going to add it in because some of the other folks asked it, did James Franklin make the right choice in taking Sean Clifford over Will Levis?
2: Yeah. Yeah, he did. And, and this is the thing. It's like Kentucky is not Penn State. The situation, the offense, the scheme are not the same. So to say that Will Levis was going to be that guy at Penn State is wrong because Will Levis wasn't going to have the opportunity and, and, the, and the system that emphasized his running skills to then open up deep play action shots where he could take those. Bi- and here's the thing. We all saw it. Will Levis is a tank of a human with a big arm. That's why Penn State took him. Does he develop into the complete quarterback? But I kind of look at him like Jake Locker. Uh, if you remember Jake Locker, they went to the Tennessee Titans in the first round. That's kind of what I would see uh, as far as how he would project to the NFL. If Jake, Jake Locker went in today's NFL, he might have a better shot of being a quarterback where he's not. they're not trying to, you know, shove him down the tube and put him in the mold to make him look like everybody else. Um I don't think he's going to be a first round pick. Remember when uh Christian Hackenberg was the number 1 overall quarterback? We we just go ba- we go based on a couple of things. Do you have the highlights and do you have the stuff? And he's got the highlights and he's got the stuff. I did some preliminary looking into, you know, some of his stuff, you know, as far as how he did last season. And again, we talked about Sean Clifford and how 2019 worked for him, big play action shots those make everyone's eyes pop out. And and Levis was good at those. But if you're talking about commanding the offense throughout the field, I don't know that I saw that. I saw a lot of swing passes and bubble passes and I start to get my my eyes start to glaze over there. So we'll see if he puts it all together this year and he has another elite season. Sure, you know, he finally realized the potential. I just don't think it was going to be at Penn State because it's not the same offense. Kentucky, and I'm just going to say this again. They took a pure running back a couple of years ago, when their quarterback got injured, and they put him at quarterback, and they won games because their team doesn't care about throwing the football. They are they are like they're almost like an army light, and and that's the system he went to to be the full evolution of a guy that can actually throw the ball in that situation.
1: Why do you think these mock drafts? Why these folks are so enamored with Well Levis and making height, the weight, top speed, 10?
2: big arm, height, weight, speed.
1: Got it. All right. Let's go to Gary in Altoona who says two years of 500 football, which could only be described as underachieving.
2: T oh, Frank, we're off to a this... great start. I feel like I'm hearing a, a chorus to a song. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> hit hit me with a beat drop here. Let's go. T. Frank, is this a blip or a trend? I wouldn't say it's a blip or a trend. I would say it's what happened. Um. I you know that, that here okay we just spent the entire show talking about how Penske was successful with the same exact quarterback in 2019 I don't want to go- talk about COVID again I just don't want to do it so let's take a look at last season where they had issues along the offensive line because their previous offensive line coach was not bringing in recruits necessary to keep that 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 pot, that pile stocked he, he, he couldn't he could not keep the level of talent necessary in the offensive line room and if you've seen anything from the offensive line you know it takes a long time to develop players from the high school level to the college level unless you're getting very high level talent and Penn State was able to keep and cobble together Guys that were fifth-year seniors that got here with James Franklin, they were part of Herb Hand's class. And they were really the backbone of that offense all the way up until 2020. And then that season, under new offensive coordinator, things fell apart. But then last season, there was this big seismic shift in the offensive line where Fries and Mennett left. And, and, you know, you have the unfortunate circumstance where Nate Bruce doesn't play football anymore. So you lose a recruit in a, in a class where you only had one other guy and I'll bring up COVID again. Like your, your new offensive line coach, when he tries to start recruiting and building relationships with guys, can't go see them. He can't be in person with people he's trying to recruit. So you have this, this unfortunate lineup of circumstances And when the offensive line, it takes a long time to get into those situations and it takes a long time to get out. So under just one part of the team, if you look at that, you can see some of the situation that that presented itself. Um, But in general, the talent on the roster is better than it was two years ago. They're bringing in better talent. They're hitting on guys. They were missing on guys over the last couple of years. So recruiting is where this all starts that's turning around is next season the year or is it the year after i don't know and and I, I can i can build you a picture where it's next season i can also build you a picture where it's not next season i think that's the point of this year is that it can go a lot of different ways so i tend to be an optimistic person i tend to look on the positive side of these things so i would say the penn state's going to be better than you think are they going to be back to 10 11 wins i you know that's a stretch for me but if you get to 9 that's where they were with with uh, Trace McSorley his senior season, so you know, is that is that enough for you? I don't know.
1: I do think that you know everything is it's a domino effect. We talked about Sean Clifford earlier in the show, his abilities or lack of ability under pressure, which leads you to the offensive line. And I keep saying it, T. Frank. I I think there's additions by subtraction along the offensive line. Yeah. That it's, you know, they're better off without some of the players that were there. And it's yet to be seen yet, but there is potential with those guys who are coming in. All right. Let's go a different direction here. Alan Harrisburg says In Jim's interview with a Board of Trustee member. There was a discussion of the home field advantage at Beaver Stadium. How big is that advantage, T. Frank, compared to other venues?
2: Uh, You're talking to one of the people on the beat that does not travel because uh, all of my studio I can't take with me in a backpack. Um, (laughs) You know, this is good. Good teams are good, right? So good teams travel. Good teams can play in hostile environments. But there is a significant advantage of home and road splits when it comes to offensive performance in, in particular. Because if you know the snap count and you can do whatever you want at the snap because you, your, your offensive line can hear you. And conversely, the defensive line, you don't have that. On the road, you don't have the advantage of the snap count. And at home, you do. And that gives a split second advantage to the offense against the defensive line so if you're on the road at Ohio State and Chase Young's already good now your tackle is blind and trying to block him you know from a sound perspective of when the snap is as opposed to being at home that is the biggest difference Uh, yeah so there is a there is a home road split and I don't know the value of it I think handicappers make it a field goal so if you're if you're coming down to a field goal it's not a huge difference but it is a difference
1: and I do think of those of us who have been at Beaver Stadium for a whiteout. There is such a thing as whiteout magic. Um, so I do believe that. Can we get another question is, in? Is, is Is ramped up. No, we can't. So Ugh. we need a winner. Uh, and that's Ugh. why I didn't think we had time. So you got to
2: name a winner, T, Frank. Oh, my gosh. Not bringing it today. Maybe that's on me. Uh, let's, let's go with Gary. Let's go with Gary.
1: Gary from Altoona, who talked about the underachieving Nittany Lions for the past two years. All right, T. Frank, thank you very much. Great job today. Come back for quarter number four. We've got some recruiting conversation going on. Stay tuned.
3: This is Jen from Collegiate Athletic Travel. We've been offering travel to the biggest Penn State games for over 50 years. This fall, we continue that tradition in partnership with Keystone Sports Network with a trip to the Penn State Auburn game. Join us for charter flight, staying at the team hotel, transportation to and from the game, and even a great tailgate party at the stadium are included. For more information, go to athletictravel.com or call 1-800-788-4414. See you there.
4: What defines the special spirit of Penn State?
0: We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystonesportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
3: And welcome
1: back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number four. That means it's time for Penn State Rivals lead recruiting analyst Eric Lammers to join us.
6: Eric, we missed a week. You miss a week, you miss a lot, don't you? Yeah, it just so happens, right, a commitment comes out, you know, and we miss a week and things like that, and and, and people, you know, drop top fours and Penn State's not included. So it gives us plenty to talk about, and I'm, you know, I'm glad to have you back. I'm glad to be back on here with you, Jim. I miss that, you know, miss not having that week or, you know, my weekly spot with you because, like I said, I always look forward to it. So I'm I'm definitely glad to be back with you, and I'm glad you're, that you're doing well.
1: Um, let's start with the – not so good news, which is uh, Phil Picciotti from Perkasie here in Pennsylvania, inside linebacker, 6'3", 225. He got to his final four, and it's Oklahoma, Auburn, Nebraska, and Michigan. Does not include Penn State. Anytime a recruit doesn't pick Penn State, I'm never surprised anymore. But I got to admit, I'm surprised he didn't even make the top four with them, a Pennsylvania kid. Yeah,
6: I mean, so I you know, I, I, thought they would at least make the top four, uh, if I'm being honest with you. I thought that that was at least going to go that direction where he'd get a shot, maybe get an official visit, and kind of go from there. Uh, you know, he's somebody that we've been watching now for a while. Obviously, we've talked about him, you know, dating back, I don't know, five, six months, you know, over at um, Nittany Nation and, and somebody that could be a part of this class. But I think what ended up happening, you know, Early on in his recruitment, we thought Penn State, we thought Notre Dame, maybe those were the two teams, right? And now, now you look up and those two teams are not even in the Final Four and he's looking to go a different direction. And I think ultimately what happened with Penn State specifically uh, and Phil, I think they kind of you know, both liked each other. I don't know if anybody was really loving each other, right? And what I mean by that is I think Penn State kind of maybe saw Phil as a a traditional box backer, right? That plays downhill, that's that your tone setter. He's going to he's going to whop you. He's going to hit you hard. He's going to be, a, you know, a leader of your defense and do all the right things, right? But as the game continues to evolve and as the game continues to speed up and be sideline to sp- sideline, you're really looking for some guys at that backer position that can turn and run and play pass coverage and can get sideline to sideline. And I think m- Ultimately, probably what happened with Penn State is they looked out in their 22 class and they took a guy like Abdul Carter, very much like, you know, Phil here, Picotti, right, in terms of he's that downhill, he's going to close with force, he's going to hit you behind the line. Um, how many of those guys can you afford to take back-to-back, right? Can you go back-to-back with a traditional backer? If Especially if you don't think you can develop that backer into a three-down guy, if he's got to come off the field on passing downs, is that the right move, right? And, and and for Phil, you know, he's looking at it as like, how much does Penn State really love me? How much do they really want me? I got these other four schools that are really recruiting me hard. You know, they really want me. Uh, maybe that's where I should need to put my attention. Maybe, you know. And so I think this was probably a, a, a case of where two, two, you know, two entities, Penn State and Phil Bacody, they kind of talk. And they're not talk, but they kind of figure out that maybe they're just not destined for each other this cycle. Maybe if it was a different cycle, things would be different. But the way the recruiting and roster management and how you have to build a team, I think just in this cycle, it just wasn't it wasn't meant to be. And I think both realized that heading in and and Phil obviously realized that heading into the final four and and felt like, you know what, I don't there's no there's no need to include Penn State. These are the four schools that I'll be looking at. And this is the direction I'll be going.
1: I hadn't really thought about it that way, Eric, but he's now the second in-state guy. I think Josiah Trotter, who went to West Virginia, was also considered an inside guy or a box guy. And is it fair to say, really, you could have th- those outside guys could potentially play inside, but if there's, if you're an inside guy, you probably don't have the skill set to do some of the outside stuff.
6: Right. So you're better off the other way. Right, that's a perfect way to put it. You know, obviously, so... Now, obviously with the with the smaller guys, you know, maybe it's a wheel back or whatever, he's maybe a little lighter in the pants, right? But what you're hoping for is that you can keep him clean with your defensive line in front, right? And so he can just make plays in space, um, keep those big offensive linemen off of him, and then he can help you out in pass coverage and things like that, right? Whereas again, Bacody maybe can't give you that out in pass coverage just because he doesn't have the ability to turn and run. Now I saw some clips recently of him on on uh, Twitter, and he and he was trying to show that he can do that, and and so that's more power to him. and Maybe he can develop that way, I think. But again, I think it was kind of you know, Penn State took Abdul Carter in uh, twenty two, right? And so, how hard did they really want to press in twenty three for for Phil when you because you know would they did they want to recruit him because he's an say guy? Yeah. Do they want to take his commitment if, if he wants to commit? Yeah. But how hard? Right? Do we do we go after this? And if he goes another direction, so be it. Let the cards fall as they may, and we will we will then you know look at how we can build that linebacker room up through other prospects that maybe we feel like can give us a little more versatility, a little more you know first down, second down, and third down um, when we're out on the on the field. Gotcha.
1: The other part that's a little surprising to me is in his final four, a kid from Pennsylvania. If, if you have Michigan in there, that's typical. Or maybe Notre Dame or maybe Ohio State. I was a bit surprised, though, to see that you saw Oklahoma, Auburn, and Nebraska. Those aren't the typical schools you see Penn State competing with, are they?
6: No, no, not at all. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. Auburn was a little bit – I was a little bit interested to see Auburn make that Final Four. Oklahoma and Nebraska, I kind of felt like they were going to be in there just because of – he had been out there. He's been taking visits there, and obviously, so he's been showing an interest um, in those in those schools. But you're right. there aren't really normally schools that come up into that territory in order to recruit. But I think if you're looking at those those teams and those who's running those defenses uh, down there at Oklahoma, you know, it's it's uh, Coach Roof. Um, who's Penn State fans are probably familiar with. Um, he's defense coordinator down there at Oklahoma now. He likes those box backers that are going to be a tone setter. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe they're thinking that they're going to be a little – and they don't have a guy on their roster like that maybe. Um, and then Nebraska, Barrett Rood, you know, he's a tackling machine from there. And he he kind of likes those dudes that are going to come in and just want to knock people through the walls and, and things like that. And so it kind of makes sense. Um, but, yeah, those aren't really necessarily two schools that come up into that territory often. All right, let's shift now to the positive news, and there was. And
1: speaking of surprises, I'll be honest with you, this is not a name I had heard previously um, A Johnny and I hope I'm pronouncing that right A Johnny Shakur, a three-star wide receiver from New Jersey, six foot, 180. He made a commitment to Penn State. He, although I guess he's listed as an athlete, I, I guess Penn State's looking at him as a wide receiver. What could you tell us about Shakur?
6: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, we haven't talked about him a lot, obviously. Probably could have thought maybe – or probably thought this might have come maybe more in the summer after he took an official visit. Um, he has visited State College five times at least that we know of. So he, it's, he's been on campus a lot, right? And he even said that when the first time that he ever visited, he wanted to commit then just because of the energy, uh, the stadium, everything that was going on there, uh, he fell in love with. And so ever since then, it always just kind of has stuck with him. I think this was a case of, of – you know, Penn State and him both just kind of working towards this decision, um, and making sure that it was right for both parties. I think personally, I do think that rivals has it pegged right, um, when they haven't pegged as an athlete, because I do think this kid, uh, can play both ways. Um, I even think I would even probably go as far to say that perhaps his upside on defense is a little bit higher. Um, uh, he wants to play offense. Uh, he's quoted as saying as much in the article, Penn State staff likes him on both sides. They are interested in him on both sides. Um, both Coach Smith and Stubblefield have been talking to him, recruiting to him, recruiting him, staying in contact with him, um, and so we'll see how that shakes out ultimately. But I do think Rivals has it pegged right as an athlete. I think that. You know, on offense, what you see is a guy that uh, he has some, you know, he has some burst. He's a little bit more of a build a speed guy, um, but he does have a little bit of burst there, so he can separate. But what he does really well is that he goes up and he adjusts his body in the air. Uh, he can contort his body any which way and go and pluck the ball out of the air, which you'd love to see, obviously, out of your receivers, right? So the quarterback going to have more and more trust in you to throw it up because they can trust you that you're going to jump up, uh, contort that body and go get it. He does that really well. On defense, though, I think what you kind of see is you see those instincts. Um, you see the quickness. Um, and, you know, there's a play, uh, one of the first few plays on his clips. He makes a quick adjustment. Um, hips move fast. He fires out, and he almost picks the ball off for a pick six. So different things like that. I, I do think that he has a potential to go both ways, but, you know, on the, on the forefront or at the beginning at least, yeah, he wants to be a receiver, and, and Penn State's going to treat him as such in this class.
1: It does seem recently that that's the route Penn State seems to be going with these kids, where there's more and more of them that are listed as athletes and could play either way. Is that a trend? Is that the type of player they're looking
6: for? Is there a reason for that happening, Eric? Yeah, it certainly seems to be that way. Because, I mean, if you look back at the last year's class, I, I I think they took three, maybe even four athletes. "Quote unquote athletes," right, that were listed by rivals and such, um, and then this class, you know, they have, they have one and probably have two realistically because the mega is probably really realistically an athlete and they had neo in there too so I think what they like to do is uh, I think a philosophy of theirs is find guys that play both ways that are good at both ways but perhaps maybe just need a little extra coaching or maybe just need to focus on one side of the ball at that next label level and you'll really see them flourish um, that's certainly the case here with uh, Johnny I think he's somebody that you know one when, when he gets focused on offense or he gets focused on defense whatever it may be I think you'll really see him shine but yeah I think that I think it's a I wouldn't say it's something that they're necessarily going out of their way to uh, find. Maybe it is, but I think they like that uh, that athlete that demonstrates skills, football skills. You know that he can do more than just one thing on both offense and defense. And then they like that as how they can kind of uh, mold him uh, when then when he gets on campus. It's kind of like I I was talking to somebody recently who was telling me how much they just love, love, love recruiting guys that are three sport athletes because. They're just so, you know, they're so raw, not raw, but they just are, you know, there's so much more molding of that clay that you can do once they get on campus. You ex- you expect them to rise, right? Their floor is so low, but you expect their ceiling to be so much higher just because you, you think you can take them there with your college coaching. And I think maybe that's kind of a, a little bit of the mindset here with Penn State staff is get these guys that are really true athletes that shine. You know, Johnny, he's also – Uh, a really good track athlete you know he's got a really good uh, 200 time he's got a good 400 time so uh, he's got some of those those skill sets that you think that maybe we get him on campus he gets into our program and we can really elevate him then once we get him focused on one position and we get him that college level coaching
1: in the last minute we have left eric the wide receiver position if we call him a wide receiver he's the first one How does the wide receiver recruiting look right now? Are there any other hot names to remember?
6: Yeah, I mean, so I think obviously a wide receiver, you know, it really all comes down to one name, right? It all comes down to Rodney Gallagher. He's kind of the pivot point of this whole thing, right? And so I would say that they're looking to take maybe one, two – one to two guys. Obviously, now they hit with with uh, Shakur in there. They're going to take you know two, obviously, of Gallagher once in. They might go to three because there's a guy. You know, they got a guy down in Florida um, by that's a speedster, another speedster by like the name of Santana Fleming. Um, that's going to have an official visit in late June. You got Kenny Johnson, the PA uh, wide receiver, that is uh, another guy they're going to bring in for an official visit at the end of June. So there's guys like that that they have available. So that if they go to two to three, if they want to take three receivers in this class. But I mean, realistically. All eyes and, and everybody's focus really is on Rodney Gallagher and what happens with him coming out of that June 17th weekend official visit leading up to his July 4th of, uh, commitment because, like I said, he's the pivot point of all of this. They're probably, they're probably waiting to see if they would ramp up anything else with other receivers um, and who would be takes after they know exactly what's going to happen with Rodney.
1: Very good, Eric, as always. Thanks for the great information. But that is it for this edition of the show. Thank you all for tuning in. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show.
3: This is Jen from Collegiate Athletic Travel. We've been offering travel to the biggest Penn State games for over 50 years. This fall, we continue that tradition in partnership with Keystone Sports Network with a trip to the Penn State Auburn game. Join us for charter flight, staying at the team hotel, transportation to and from the game, and even a great tailgate party at the stadium are included. For more information, go to athletictravel.com or call 1-800-788-4414. See you there.
4: In his book, Why Penn State, author Greg Woodman takes readers on a trip back in time to Happy Valley in the 1980s, a unique era of gridiron success and rapid expansion that gave our university its modern identity. Whether you're traveling down memory lane or discovering Old State's past for the first time, this compilation of rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews helps you explore the why behind We Are. Start your journey today. Order online at whypennstate.com.